The text uh, for today it comes from Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 16, and I'm going to be reading from uh, the NIV. I believe the text is written on the back of your um, announcement card. Uh, so follow along with me, please. Uh, the word of the Lord came to uh, Jonah, son of Amittai. Uh, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come upon has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship had threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that he will not, we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for ki killing an in innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. All this, at this, the men grew great, at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Bow your head with me as I pray, please. Lord, uh, we thank you uh, for this blessing that you've given us to gather together as a congregation to, to hear your word, your Lord, your, your active and your living word. Lord, we thank you that you have called us to be a body of Christ Lord, and without the blood of Jesus Christ, there would be no church. And we so, Lord, we thank you. We celebrate this day as we come together, Lord, to praise your name for the sacrifice that you've made, Lord, in dying on the cross, Lord, for dying for our sins, 
Lord, hanging upon that cross, knowing every single sin that we would commit over and over and over and over again, Lord, yet you hung there, Lord, patiently, knowing that by your death, Lord, that you would bring us reconciliation with our Heavenly Father. And so, God, we we sit here humbly before you with our heads bowed, Lord, acknowledging that you are King, or that you are our Savior, that you are our Lord. Lord, and we thank you for the resurrection that gives us power to live no longer as slaves, but to live as resurrected children of God. Lord, we thank you that you see each one of us. Lord, you see us beyond our smiles. You see us beyond the facade that we put. Lord, you see the most inner parts of our hearts. Lord, and you pursue us. Lord, and that is the area to which you want to speak today. So God, help us to lay down all our defenses, all our defenses, Lord, trusting, Lord, that you have a word for us this afternoon. Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to hear your word. Help us to receive your word. Lord, for this is a spiritual word. It is not from human Lord, and so, God, we need your help in accepting your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A couple years ago, my family and I, we were uh, living in southeast San Diego. And on one uh, particular uh, Saturday morning, uh, we received an unexpected surprise in front of uh, our house. Uh, That morning, I made my coffee, as I usually do, And I sat at our dining table, gazing out through our uh, front window. And as I was spacing out, I noticed that there was an RV that was parked right in front of uh, my driveway. And I didn't own an RV. But at the same time, I didn't think much of it because uh, in the neighborhood that we lived, out of the ordinary things uh, was typical. So I, I went on with my business. And a couple hours later, I peeped outside the window again, and I noticed that the RV was still there. So, kind of concerned, I went outside, I knocked on the RV door, and a gentleman came out. And before I could say anything, he says to me, Sir, I'm so sorry about the RV. I'll move it as quickly as possible. And so I I thought, okay, this guy's cool, you know, there's nothing for me to worry about. So I went back into the house, and after a good, about five to six hours later, I looked outside and I saw that a a tow truck was moving the RV out of my driveway and out of the neighborhood. So being relieved, because now I can go on with my Saturday routine and my errands, I went into the garage, into my car, slowly pulled my car out towards the driveway, when all of a sudden I get this whiff, this sudden whiff, this stench coming through my air vent. This smell, this This stench coming through my car was so nasty that I quickly pulled the car back into the garage, ran into the house, looked outside where the RV was parked, and there I saw that the RV had dumped their waste tank in front of my uh, driveway. 
at the cul-de-sac where our driveway was. And so I called 911 because I literally thought that I was going to contract some kind of airborne disease. And the, dis the dispatcher, they sent over the Department of Sanitation. They came, they sprayed chemicals into the area to kill the bacteria and the odor. But even then, even after they sprayed and cleaned all, the, all of the literal crap up, the smell, it lingered for a couple days. Now, as the smell lingered, right, I could sense some bitterness beginning to fester within me. I started asking myself these uh, self-righteous questions such as, what's the point of living in this neighborhood? Right? Is incarnational ministry worth putting my family at risk? I have children now. Right? And I thought, what changes can really happen here through my presence in this neighborhood? I share this story with you this morning because in the scene of our text, we find Jonah pondering similar questions. Right? The Assyrians who Jonah was called to go preach to they were ruthless. They were murderers. They were sexually immoral. They ruthlessly terrorized children and women. They had pillaged and displaced and raped the Israelites. Right? They had no care for God and they stood against everything that the law of God taught. So naturally, this, this righteous man, this man of God, this prophet, Jonah didn't think that the Ninevites these people in Assyria deserve God's mercy and forgiveness, right? For Jonah, the possibility of God's blessings extended to these heathens was unthinkable. So where do we find Jonah? We find him moping and complaining to God saying, what's the point? They won't listen. And even if they do heed your word, they don't deserve your mercy. Right, We find him running in the complete opposite direction from where God had called him to go. And he boards a ship and he takes off to this distant place called Tarshish because Jonah wants Assyria to feel the wrath of God and not experience the blessings of God. He wants nothing to do with being an extension of God's mercy and forgiveness to these heathens to these Ninevites, and so he runs away. This brings me to my first point today. A blessing is not a blessing until it's given away. A blessing is not a blessing until it's given away. What we find with Jonah is that he refuses his calling because of his short-sightedness and his shallow understanding of God, right? He believes that by restricting God's mercy and message of repentance, he's doing God a favor. He thinks he's doing God a favor. He believes that by hoarding God's blessing, he's experiencing the best life that God can offer. But what God wants to do is, he wants to take Jonah on this mission and demonstrate to him that the fullness of God's blessing is experienced when it's given away. How do we know that? In Genesis 12, God, he makes a covenant with Abraham, right? 
Remember that covenant that he makes, the promises that he makes to Abraham. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. Right? What we find is that this first half of the covenant between God and Abraham is the promises, the blessings the Israelites will receive. Right? The promises and blessings for God's chosen people, his church. Then in the second half of the covenant, God says to Abraham, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. He says all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. He doesn't say all Hebrews will be blessed through you or all good and righteous people will be blessed through you or those who deserve my mercy will be blessed through you. He says all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Right? So what we we find here is that the first half of the Abrahamic covenant is essentially the blessings the Israelites will receive from the Lord. But the second half of the covenant is about the blessings the world receives through Israel. Jonah was unwilling to embody the whole covenant in his prophetic ministry. He wanted to determine who received God's mercy. Right, Jonah was so caught up in how Israel can be blessed and how they can be protected and how they can rise up once again to be a sovereign and powerful nation because they were being oppressed by the Assyrians. He knew that if by chance the Ninevites did repent, right, they would continue to prosper, they would continue to grow and rule under God's mercy and favor while the Israelites continue to be poor and nationless. You see, jo- Jonah, he, he lost sight of God's mission to the world. All the while forfeiting the second half of the covenant in that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. By foregoing this mission, Jonah was ultimately foregoing the covenant between God and the Israelites. He was stepping out of the boundaries of God's covenant. He was stepping away from what would give him a complete sense of covenant between God and his people and a complete embodiment of God's blessing. God asks us to do many things, right? And sometimes they're unpleasant. Right? God asks us to do unpleasant, inconvenient, and straight up painful, painful things. Right? If you've been a Christian long enough, you know this is true. Right? That the Christian journey is, is difficult. It's painful. Right? The Christian journey wasn't meant to be easy. There's no promise of your best life now. Right? The gospel is a promise of death. And resurrection. That is what the gospel is. If we look at the life of Jesus, it's a promise of pain, death, carrying the cross, and one day being resurrected when our Lord comes back. Right? The gospel, it's this rhythm of death and resurrection. 
That's why we're called to love people that we hate. That's why we're called to go places that we don't want to go. That's why we're called to love our spouse as Christ loves the church. Right? If any of you guys are married, you'll know that this is the most difficult thing to do, to love your spouse. And if you guys are looking forward to getting married, you haven't experienced death and resurrection yet. I'm guessing by the laughs or the lack of laughs, not many of you guys are married. Are married. We're called to die to ourselves for the sake of others. Right? That is the call to Christianity. And this call to love, to forgive, to go, to minister, to serve, is not simply for the sake of making, making the Christian journey difficult, right? But because by doing so, we take part in the whole covenant of God, right? And that the blessings that we received, the blessings of being loved by God, of being forgiven by God, of being served by God, that we received all from God, we give unto others for the blessings of all people. Jonah was unwilling to go there. Jonah wanted to control the distribution of God's blessing. He wanted to control who deserved the second half of the Abrahamic covenant. So ultimately, he was unwilling to surrender to God. A lack of surrender or letting go is ultimately because we don't trust, we don't trust that God wants what's best for us. Right? Isn't that true? Our lack of surrender is because we don't trust that, we don't trust that God wants what's best for us. At times, right, we catch ourselves unwilling to end relationships, intimate relationships, even though we know in our heart that it's toxic and dishonoring to God because we don't trust that God has something better for us, right? We're afraid to be alone. We're not willing to let go of our unforgiveness towards those who have wronged us because we don't trust in God's heart for justice, right? We're not willing to let go of our controlling behavior because we don't trust that God can provide the security we need or that we want, right? We're not willing to let go of self-medicating habits because we don't trust that God alone can fulfill the emptiness and the loneliness we experience in our lives. So we end up holding on to things. Holding on to things we were never meant to hold on to. And what's the result? It's chaos. There's a constant storm above us that follows us in our circumstances, in our relationships, in our businesses, and in our hearts. With Jonah, as this storm rages on above him, people are frantically crying out to their gods and they're hurling cargo overboard, right, to save the ship. But in verse 5, look at Jonah. Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and, ha and had lain down and was fast asleep. Jonah was asleep, right? Who goes to sleep in a sea storm? 
I've never been in a sea storm, but I'm guessing that it's probably like being in a turbulent in a turbulent plane, right? And the times that I've been on a turbulent plane, it's the scariest thing in the world, right? It's 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 scary because the plane is shaking and rumbling, right? With the people next to you gasping at every free fall, right? With the stewardess like smiling like this, all straight face, but you can see behind the smile that she's all scared, right? It, it's scary. You're praying. Right? No one's sleeping on a, on a turbulent plane. And I can guess that's probably what it was like in this sea storm. So what happened that Jonah is this emotionally detached and indifferent about the crazy storm going on right above him? Dr. Uh, Edward Santana Grace, who specializes in the study of anxiety, he says, Anxiety is a state of being a person experiences as they find greater hopelessness in life situations and circumstances, which can ultimately lead to a state of depression. Let me say that again. Anxiety is the state of being a person experiences as they find greater hopelessness in life situations and circumstances, which can ultimately lead to a state of depression. If you know an anxious person, you'll notice that they're often controlling. Isn't that true? Right? Anxious people are, are pretty controlling. They want to control things because, because as they lose sense of hope in any given life situation, the quickest way to gain stability, any sense of stability, is to tightly grip and control what you're able to grip and hold on to. Right? But we all know, we all know that controlling your child doesn't behave your child. We know that controlling your spouse or significant other doesn't heal your marriage or your relationship. We know that controlling your employees or colleagues, it doesn't change the, col- the culture of the workplace, right? Controlling your congregants doesn't make your church grow, right? In fact, the more we try to control, what happens? The more it makes matters worse and our lives more chaotic, And that is what we find with Jonah in this scene. He's in this state of extreme, unregulated anxiety. And the one thing that he thinks that he has control of is God's distribution of mercy and forgiveness. And so he clings to that because he doesn't trust in God's complete covenant. He doesn't believe that the fullness of God's blessing is realized when the blessing is given away. Jonah wants God to act mercifully only to those he deems worthy of it. Jonah wants to control God, and because he obviously can't control God, chaos ensues. Not only outside the storm, but in his heart. And it's too much for Jonah to handle. Right, This loss of control and hopelessness festering in his heart, it, it brings him to this state of depression Right, sleeping apathetically in the inner part of the ship while the storm rages on. That's why he's sleeping. I wonder what it is. I wonder what it is for some of us this morning that we're unwilling to let go. I wonder what it is for some of us this morning that some of us are unwilling to let go, to surrender, 
As I was praying for you and preparing for the, this message, the theme of resentment kept surfacing. And so I have to trust that this is what the Lord wants me to speak. Perhaps there are some of you here this morning that are not able to let go of your resentment. We feel so right and justified to hate this particular person, right? And we've clung on to it for so long that we've become addicted to our resentment. It's become an important piece to how we interpret other people's words and how, words and how we see this world. Right? So for some of you, the object of your resentment might, might be your significant other or your spouse. Right? For others, that might be your parents or sibling. For others, that might be your boss or your colleague at work. And for others, that might be a person of a different skin color or religion or ethnic group. Let me ask, what good has that resentment done for you? Right? Because it isolates. It depresses. It keeps us in a constant state of bitterness. And you hold tightly to it and often find yourself in the innermost part of your own world where no one can bother you. You're so guarded where no one can prick at you, where you're fast asleep. God asks you, God asks us this morning to give that up to him, to surrender that resentment over to him. Because by giving it to him, he'll give you a blessing that you could never have imagined. By surrendering our, over our resentment to God, we step into the blessings of God. Right? Jonah, he felt so justified feeling the way he did about the Assyrians. Right? He felt justified in restricting God's mercy and forgiveness. And understandably, right, the Assyrians, they had hurt and tortured the Israelites. You might, under, you might also feel justified in feeling the way you do toward your object of resentment. And understandably. But Jesus, he, he yearns and he calls out to you this morning to give that over to him, to call out to him, because it's only Christ that we can surrender that over to. It's only Jesus who wants to take this from you. And it's only Jesus who can replace it with the blessing rather than chaos. This brings me to my second point. There is no one who can stand in the way of God's radical mercy. There is no one who can stand in the way of God's radical mercy. Look at the irony of Jonah's situation. Okay, he, Jonah, he tries to run away, right, from his call to the Ninevites. 
but he ends up giving his life for heathen sailors. He jumps off the boat because he knows that the storm is raging because of him. So he, in order to save the boat and the people in it, he throws himself overboard. Right? Jonah, he tries escaping from the presence of God, but he's surrounded by the fullness of God in the storm. Jonah, he tries to hold back the word of God from wicked sinners, from the Assyrians, but he ends up proclaiming the God of heaven to pagan sailors. Right? Jonah tries restricting God's blessings, but we find the sailors giving sacrifice and worshiping God. The irony of Jonah's plight of his situation points to God's radical mercy that's at work to restore both Jonah and the recipient of his message. You see, in the eye of the storm, in the eye of the storm, we see God's hand reaching out to Jonah. Right? In the captain's urgency, we hear God calling out to Jonah to pray. In the lots casted by the sailors, we hear God whisper to Jonah to confess. Right? But we also find the finger of God in the raging storm, pressing the heart of the pagan sailors to search for the one true God while they're praying to all of their gods. Right? In Jonah's confession, we see that the Holy Spirit grasping the heart of the pagan sailors. Right? In the calming of the sea, We see God's radical mercy at work putting ease to the heart of the sailors. God's mercy won't be denied. Not even for the prophet, for the man of God who had been called to proclaim the word of God. Not even he can stop it. Even when we resist him. Even when we resist him and make terrible mistakes. God's mercy will prevail. His mission will be fulfilled. God is able to redeem even the most wicked things, people, wicked institutions, government structures, nations for his praise and glory. Right? But God would rather have it that we obey and take part in his covenant. That we obey and take part in his covenant. So the question for us this morning is this. Will you resist God or will you accept the calling of God upon your life and the life of Thanksgiving Mission Church? Will you accept the calling of God upon your life and the life of Thanksgiving Mission Church? Individually only, you know what your call is, and that is something you need to bring to God and wrestle with God, right? But as a church, that call is something we partake in together, that you partake in as a body of Christ bound by the blood of Jesus, right? The call of the church isn't something some do here and some do there. It's a unified effort that moves towards the purposes of God for, this, for the redemption of your city, Los Angeles. But if I'm to speak honestly, as I reflect on the spiritual atmosphere, right, of some of the churches in our country, church has become one endless routine of events, of meetings, of programs, and other activities by which we can hide behind. And it's easy to mistake that as a calling. 
as fulfilling our calling. And the image that we're expected to project behind these activities is that we're happy and that we're all smiles, that life is fine. But the truth is there are some of us that are dying inside. There are some of us that are desperate inside. There are some of us who don't have jobs and are wondering how we'll take care of ourselves and our family. Right? Some of us have failing businesses and we're barely hanging on. Right? Some of us have strained marriages and relationships and we're wondering if reconciliation is ever possible. Right? Some of us are wrestling with illnesses and death in our families. Some of us struggle with habitual sins that we promise over and over to stop doing but just can't shake. Right? The truth is that deep inside, we are experiencing some kind of storm as we come into this body of Christ to worship God. But the critical thing for us to understand is that before we can step into the call of God, before we can step into the call of God, we need to know that first and foremost, God doesn't want something from you. God wants you. Period. All of you. Just as you are, the imperfect and flawed you, the whole you, and that's radical mercy, the mercy of loving every part of who you are, not just the good you or the successful you or the best you. You see, Jonah wasn't willing to accept that. Hence, he wasn't willing to extend that. A couple evenings after uh, the RV left its, um, left its gift in front of my house, uh, I was out on my front porch uh, reflecting on why I'm here in southeast San Diego and um, if there's any lasting significance uh, to our quote-unquote incarnational ministry. And all the while I'm, I'm doing this, sitting out in front of my front, front porch, doing my very best uh, to breathe through my mouth because the smell was still lingering, right? The smell was still there. And while sitting out there, I, I was struck by a, a sudden thought, by this thought that shook me to my core in that this is the gospel, this is the gospel. You see, for the past two days, I had been complaining about the condition of my neighborhood and how this one incident inconvenienced my nose. Right? But there it struck me that Jesus not only smelled the stench of humanity's sin, but he covered himself in it. Right? He entered into the tank. And in that moment, I heard the Lord saying to me, Steve, arise. Call out to me. And so I began to pray for the city, interceding for the city, praying a prayer of repentance for the city. And as I prayed for God's mercy and forgiveness to shower upon the neighborhood and even the folks who dumped their literal crap at my front yard, I knew in my heart I wasn't saying the right prayer. There was a disconnect between what I was saying, what was coming out of my mouth, 
and what I was sensing in my heart. And as I sat still out on my front porch in the quietness of my heart, I sensed the Lord saying to me, Stephen, you're the stench. Just because you don't smoke crack, just because you don't sell your body, just because you don't commit these explicit sins that society deems unlawful, it doesn't make you better. You are all one and the same. And I still love you. My love is for you, Steve. My mercy is for you, Steve. And in that moment, I called out to God. I called out to God asking for forgiveness. To heal me of my pride and my arrogance. And I'll tell you. Although the smell of the RV's waste tank was still rancid and lingering in the air, it didn't seem to bother me as much because it was a reminder of the stench Christ came into when he entered into my heart. You see, we're all one and the same. We're all Jonah. We're all the Assyrians. We're all the stench that Jesus died for. Before a calling, there's identity. There's identity. And our identity lies in that God knows every crack and crevice of your heart. Where the stench of your life tries to hide from God. And yet he's still madly in love with you. If you can't believe that, if you can't accept that, you are not operating from the whole realm of God's covenant. He knows your skeletons and your secret regrets. I, b- before I became a pastor, if I confess to you the things that I used to do And some of you look familiar. You might know me from back then. I promise you'd be wondering, how is this man up here preaching the word of God? But I'm able to stand here because I trust that God accepts all of that. All the ugliness. All the stench. And there is no trying that I have to do. It's just a matter of accepting it and believing it and living out that faith. And it's when I can believe it, that's when I can extend it to others. That's when I can be an agent who extends God's blessings to those who are undeserving of it. You see, church, God, he he knows the most inner parts of your life. The loneliness, the hurts, the arrogance, the pride, And he accepts you just as you are. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that radical? God knows you have the same capacity as the Ninevites to to commit the same wicked acts. God knows you have the same capacity as Jonah to run away in disobedience. Yet he pursues you 
with his radical mercy, and there is absolutely nothing that will get in the way of it, not even you. So church, I invite you to come before God as your naked selves, as your complete selves, not just your best selves, but every part of who you are, and trust that what God desires for you is more than you could ever dream for yourself. He embraces every part of who you are and trust that his radical mercy accepts you every second of the day. You see, when that is solidified, your calling will naturally set into motion. Your calling will naturally set into motion. If that is what we can ground our calling upon, there's no limit to the extent of how he'll use you and Togamza for the advancement of his kingdom. I'm not sure how aware you are of your current context, um, but if, if you do you know, some research and just even look a couple blocks behind uh, where THMC is, uh, there's a um, housing project called, called William Mead. And it's uh, often, it's, it's, it's referred to as a dog town to, to locals. And it's a neighborhood where the poorest of the poor live. Uh, it's it's government-subsidized housing. And if you uh, look a couple blocks going this way, right, you have uh, the men's county jail. You, you have the county jail. Right, if you go this way, you have Lincoln Heights. Right, which is considered one of the poorest neighborhoods in LA, and it's uh, infested with uh, gangbangers. And if you look this way, you have Echo Park, you have Chinatown. There is so much opportunity for you to take part in what God is already doing here. God is at work here at THMC and the communities around you. The first step to entering into that calling is by solidifying your identity as children of God. And so that is the message that I want to share with you this morning. My prayer is, as God begins inspiring you and spurring you on and teaching you how to engage with your community, that your heart will be so certain of God's absolute radical mercy and love for you. Bow your heads with me as I pray. Take a moment to, to come before the Lord and in faith to surrender to him the thing that God is calling you to release to him. And as you do, in faith, ask the Lord to, to fill your heart with the renewed sense of identity the death and resurrection of his son and his love for you. God, um, every day, Lord, the world pulls at us. It tugs at us. And it tells us that we can uh, trust in everything and anything but you. But the truth is, Lord, you are our source of life. 
You are our source of blessing. You are the source of love. Lord, and there's, there are many of us in here who need to know that, not just in our heads, but in our heart. So in faith, Lord, we ask, God, that you would embrace their hearts, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Yes, Lord, in the name of Jesus, Lord. God, we are unworthy. Lord, we are so unworthy. Yeah, you pursue us, Lord. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Lord, give us faith to respond to your pursuit, your mercy that lavishes us every day and every morning. Lord, I pray, Lord, for your blessing upon this congregation. Yes, Lord, I pray, God, that as they grow in faith, as they grow in their love for you and for your people, Lord, that you would be the one developing strategies, Lord, and how they can partner with you in the work that you're doing in the communities around them. Lord, we thank you for your love and for using such broken vessels such as us to be um, an extension of your blessing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.